heard this story or definitely pieces of the story many times before, and I unapologetically share it with you again. The bottom line is, it's the time that I swore my greatest swear, that I oath my greatest oath. And here's the verse that we're going to be looking at this morning as we're journeying through the book of James, and we're stopping at every single time James talks about the use of our words. We're taking a look at what he says. This is the final week in our series. I said uh, this, you heard that. And here's what James has to say about our words in James chapter 5. And it has to do about swearing and oathing. Now, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no so that you won't fall under judgment. The temptation with understanding our temperaments is that now that we understand our temperament a little bit better and we understand that we actually do perceive reality in a certain way, introvert, extrovert, task-oriented, people-oriented, that other people also have temperaments. And the temptation with understanding temperaments is that we can make them do things or make them feel in certain ways that make us happier, that accomplish our objective, if we use our words in a certain way, in accordance with their temperament, maybe the magic will happen. That is possible, the temptation is, is that we will begin to use our words as a lever to use hearts and minds in a way that is not appropriate. It was the... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and do a condensed version of the story so I can focus on the oath-swearing part and the swear-swearing part that I did. Long story short, my family started attending a church in Norwich when I was 11, and I was struck by a vision of wonder and beauty that made me tingle. It was as if I was a tuning fork, and I walked into a room, and there's another tuning fork in a different octave, but it's the same note. And the end of the story is we have matching rings and two children to this day. But I was 11 when I just started to hum with love. Knocked over, smitten, slain, done. Over. I was 13 when I told my mother that I was going to marry her. I don't joke about stuff like that. In fact, even when I joke, I'm just kind of a guy that when I say I'm going to do something, doggone it, you just give up now. And so I was 13 when I told my mom I was going to marry Trisha Stone, and I wasn't kidding. We dated for a little while in eighth grade, and I fouled it up royally. I really messed it up. I was dumb. And I had my chance, and I lost it. Come freshman year, fall of 1985, I am 4'11", and I weigh 95 pounds. And I have a matching gray Reebok with matching gray corduroys with a matching gray web belt, with a brass buckle, with a matching gray shirt, with an alligator right here. I was looking fine. I was doing everything I could to get my five foot six, probably outweighed me at the time, sweetheart to tur- turn her attention towards me. Yeah, I was about five inches shorter and probably 20 pounds lighter than my wife at that time. But I was stunned. I was completely taken with her. And because I'd been a jerk in eighth grade, and I was half a foot shorter, and really weird, like, who, my mother should have said, Josh, really? This is what you're wearing on the first day of school. And so I did realize at some point that my gray ensemble was a little weird, so I threw on a jean jacket over the top. And man, it popped then. Nothing. No attention, no love, no traction. The heart of Trisha Stone was exactly that. 
towards me. Stony, hard, not interested. Possibly just because I was so hard to find in a crowd. I was four foot eleven at NFA. Things were not going my way. I would purposely arrange my schedule. We didn't have any classes together. She was an S, I was a G, she was smart, I was less so. No, no fraternizing during the day. I would try and intercept her on the appropriate sidewalks. I'd try and anticipate where she was going. The only time I knew I'd see her at all was in the morning because her homer was across the hallway from mine. It didn't matter where I positioned myself, she avoided me. I made my greatest oath. I made my, I swore my greatest swear. Because that's what the text is talking about. It's not primarily talking about vulgarity. It's talking about using our words in a way to manipulate a situation, to change a situation. And I attempted, and a swear or an oath in this context is when we do it towards God. When we actually feel like God can be manipulated by something other than love, by our words. And so I prayed a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I have tried all things that I know how to do to attract this woman's love and affection and attention, and it's not working. I need her heart and her mind to fall in love with me. I want to be viewed as the one by her forever. It's a big prayer. Freshman. I promise, I swear, I will never ask for anything ever again. If you give me the heart and mind of Trisha Stone forever and ever, if I can walk down, it's totally normal, by the way. This is, there's nothing weird or creepy about this at all. Like, yeah, I was 13. I wasn't even five foot tall. I had issues. My issues had issues, right? I would like to say that my wife feels that she is in a happy community relationship that's somewhat normal today. So don't take that from her if you disagree <laughs> with her this morning. I will never ask for anything again if I can walk down the aisle and be that guy. When the pastor says, who takes this woman to be offered in marriage? And it's, he was my pastor at the time, Jerry Stone. In fact, he gets to meet him on Father's Day. He speaks to me for me. Uh, the man who gave his daughter came to commission me as a pastor and as a missionary uh, in his church. So he preached on Father's Day, which is very important. To be the guy that gets her arm, I will never, ever, ever ask for anything, I swear, ever again. Now, the Lord answered that prayer, so obviously swearing is good. Amen. Let's close with communion. No, that's not what the text says. The Lord did answer that prayer, but it had nothing to do with the fact that I used my words inappropriately in an attempt to manipulate God to do something that He wanted to give me out of love for me. You see, when we use our words to try and manipulate the divine, we're actually creeping down the path, and I'm going to say something that might sound a little shocking, but if you think about it, you'll see that I believe it's true, that when we use our words to try and manipulate the hearts and minds of other people by appealing to a spiritual entity or to their spirit through the power of our words, we're actually walking down the path of witchcraft. That 
that's what witchcraft is. Appealing to a divine entity or a spiritual entity with our knowledge and our words, trying to leverage something to change in accordance to my will. And then the Bible forbids it. And, and now you kind of understand why. Why is that so evil? Why is that so wrong? It's because we are using our words according to our will to try and leverage something that is not ours to leverage. But when we approach the Lord, not with a manipulative heart like I did as a young man, but rather in a heart that understands that God has a heart of love towards us, now we can begin using our words in a very powerful way. Please notice that James introduces this text by saying, Now above all, <laughs> now above every other thing, possibly now above every other thing that I've said for the previous four and a half chapters. Now, commentators are mixed, and they say that this phrase, it, it can be used in that way, but more than likely it's his way of saying, now in conclusion. I'm going to leave you with a powerful thought. I'm going to leave you with a big idea. And the idea is stop using your words weakly, poorly, timidly, with no strength, start using your words in a way that is powerful, let me explain it. So he begins with a negative command, and then he gives some incredible guidance about how to use our words powerfully so that we can begin to see things change, ultimately in our lives. But the key that I had to realize back in 1985 was that the one thing that needed to change more desperately than anything else was me. I needed to become someone who was worthy of the love of someone like Francisco. I had to grow up in every way possible, not just my physical stature. And that was the prayer answer that the Lord gave me, that I needed to grow up, that I needed to change, that I was the one that the Lord needed to do a work in. And then it's amazing to see how our prayers are answered. And so the command is, Above all, finally, in conclusion, big idea, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no, so that you won't fall under judgment. If you're thinking of parallel texts, you're probably thinking of when Jesus said, you can't even change the length or color of your hair. So why are you swearing by the power of whatever you choose? It's manipulative and weird. In the Jewish culture, sometimes they were they, they knew that it was wrong to swear, by God, I swear. They knew that that was taking the name of God in vain. There was a Ten Commandment about that. They didn't want to be smitten with greatest timidity. And so they knew that they couldn't swear by the power of God, but they'd swear by his throne. They'd swear by his temple. They'd swear by the altar. They'd swear by the sacrifice on the altar. And it was cute games. It was manipulative hoo-ha trying to convince people of things that they didn't want to be convinced of, trying to make things happen in accordance to their will. Well, if I swear by the gift that's on the altar, instead of the altar itself, then I have to say that it comes true and that it has to be a thing. But if I just swear by the altar itself and not by the gift on the altar, then obviously I don't have to do the thing and I trick you. That's crazy talk. That's just wrong and weird and dumb. And so the parallel text is found in the Gospels where Jesus says, you can't even change the length or color of your hair. You can't add an inch to your height, and I prayed about that too. I almost took a great swear on that one. But I just went out and hung by the swing sex. I saw it on Brady Bunch, and I thought maybe that would work. It didn't. Anyways, parallel text, Jesus says it's pointless to do this stuff, so knock it off. What's fantastic about this text is that James says, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be doing. Stop with the weak words to 
the simpleton words, the dumb words, the powerless words. You're not kidding anybody. How about using some powerful words? The temptation in these situations that frustrate us is we are tempted to swear by something or swear at something. That's where vulgarity comes into this text. You see that? When we are frustrated by life's realities and we want to see a change, we are tempted to make a big swear, to swear by something, or, more commonly for us, we're tempted to swear at something. This is the problem that James is addressing. Above all, don't talk like this. Don't swear by anything. Don't swear at anything. Those are weak words. Use better words. Here's what the better words are. Is anyone among you suffering? <laughs> Does anyone among you like more money? Does anyone among you like to lose five pounds? Would anyone among you like a better job? Would anyone among you like better behaved children? Like, that's the question right there. Is anyone among you suffering? Yes. <laughs> there are some among us who are suffering. What are we supposed to do in these situations? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Example, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Quick summary. Communion Sunday. I'm going to move towards communion in a few moments. I'm not going to preach my way through this text. You can do a sermon for yourself. No problem. Understand that everything that we just read there is the conclusion of James under the heading now above everything else I said. Good stuff there. And if I were to summarize it in three words, what, what James is saying we should be doing instead of swearing and taking oaths is we should be praying, we should be praising, and we should be repenting. Right? Is anyone amongst you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone amongst you not suffering? He should give praise. Is anyone amongst you sick or burdened down with the care of sin? He should call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil, and the prayer made in faith will restore help to the one who is ill, and their sins will be forgiven. There is anointing oil every time you come to church. And I've never told you that, James. Every time you see me. Every time you see me, I have anointing oil in each. I carry it in my vehicle. I carry it in my bag. Every time we have church, every time you see me. I'm not kidding. Your pastor will do that. I will pray for you that you will be healed and that your sins will be forgiven. And the Lord will restore health to the one who is ill and forgive their sins. Every time you see me, it's either in the glove box or in that bag or in my pocket. Because when it's chilly, because of my heart for you, I see you. That's nice, huh? And a little weird. The power of prayer. 
says, The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the KJV says. The prayer of a righteous man means an awful lot. I'm not the only righteous man here, but for now I'm the only one that's known as the pastor or elder of this church. And so there are other people who would happily pray for you and anoint you with oil, and I hope that they do. But right now the clearest way of the fulfillment of this text is through the oil that I have at hand every time you see me. That's the power of this text. We are to be people of prayer. We are to be people of praise, and we are to be people of repentance. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Those of us who restore someone who has sinned and bring them back to their senses, back to faith, back to repentance, has saved their life and has covered over a multitude of sins. There are ways to use our words powerfully to actually enact life change. And the life that is changed first is ours as we are people of prayer people of praise, and people who repent. And when we pray and uh, praise with and repent and confess with each other, we will see the power of God to do two things according to this text. Restore and forgive. Right? That's what the text promises. As we pray, as we praise, and as we repent, God will, in return, out of love for us, He will restore and He will forgive. According to our temperaments, and I'm just going to model this briefly, and then we're going to go into a time of communion, what does it look like if we pray the most powerful words we know of, scriptural words, in accordance with our temperaments, that we might be people of prayer, praise, and confession, and also turn that around and be those kinds of people for others? What would it look like according to our temperaments? I'm just going to do this briefly. I'm going to model this real quick using four different biblical texts that are going to be well-received by those of us with these temperaments. For instance, for those of us with the yellow or sanguine energy people and fun temperament, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, will be a powerful text for us. What does it sound like if we pray this text? Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Heavenly Father, it means so much to me to know that you haven't given me some of the spiritual blessings, but that you believe in me, that you are focused on me, that you have so much faith in me, that you have given me access to every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For I am chosen in you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. That is a powerful prayer, especially for those of us with a yellow or sanguine temperament. What does it sound like when we pray that prayer for ourselves? We can already begin to feel some healing and growth and prayer and praise. How much easier is it for us to confess our own shortcomings when we feel that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and has chosen us in His sight to be perfect and blameless? Heavenly Father, you've chosen me to be perfect and blameless in your sight, and there is some stuff in my life that is not perfect. And it is not blameless. And I just confess it to you right now. Wow, for those of us with a yellow or sanguine temperament, that is powerful. Powerful for all of us. What does it sound like as a person with this temperament and we pray for someone in accordance with this? Heavenly Father, there is someone in my life who does not feel that they are the subject of your blessings at all. And Lord, if you can bless me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and if you have chosen me to be holy and blameless in your sight, isn't it also true of them as well? I pray, Father, that they would know in their heart and in their mind and their soul that you have 
bless them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and that you have chosen them to be holy and blameless in your sight, and that if there is anything in their life that is not holy or blameless, you can cause them to confess it and repent it now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've gotten their notes and intentions of this. You believe in Paul or you don't care? That's, that's powerful stuff, my yellow friend, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So that's powerful stuff, not just for our sanguine or yellow friends who are uh, activated by people and energy. That's powerful stuff because we're, we're praying scripture, right? So what does it look like if we pray according to our temperament to change a situation and it's not witchcraft? What does it look like? It looks just like this. That's an example. For those of us who uh, calm, harmony, temperance, green, phlegmatic, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I, I'm going to do this quickly because I understand that you're going to have some meaning this morning. But I think this is powerful. I think this is good. This is like where the rubber really meets the road for this series. How do we use our words in a way that is a blessing to others in accordance with their temperament? And if it's not like this, then, then we've been wasting our time. For those of us with a green temperament, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. You can use any text for this, but, but these texts I think are particularly powerful. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, you know how important it is to me that I, I have peace, that things be calm, that things are just okay. And, and Lord, there are areas in my life that are stressing me out right now, and you invite me to come to you in my stress and in my worry, knowing that you promised me rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, I have a child who is experiencing a time of turmoil right now. They're going through a difficult time, grades, friends, physical changes, who knows what. Fill in the blank. But this is how we would pray for this child after having prayed this prayer for ourselves. They need to experience your peace. They need to experience your rest. Would you draw the heart of my child closer to you, knowing that as stressed out as they feel right now, as worried as they feel right now, as much as they feel like nothing is ever going to change, they're always going to be four foot eleven and ninety pounds, and it doesn't matter how long they've been in this room set. That they're never that things are always going to be this way. Heavenly Father, would you draw my child's heart close to you, knowing that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light, that time with you is peaceful and productive. In Jesus' name. And would you restore peace in our hearts? Those of us with a phlegmatic or green temperament, that is a powerful uh, temperament-empowered prayer. It's a way that as a mom or a dad, we can use our words to love our child who honestly is just a little stressed out. And we can pray in accordance to our temperament, but maybe that's the temperament of our child. Maybe that's a green child. And as a, a red or a yellow or a blue, we can pray for a green that way. Matthew chapter 6, 33 through 34, for those of us with a blue Uh, with order and perfection. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Heavenly Father, you know that I've made all the lists. You know that I've thought through every detail. 
you know that I'm anticipating and I'm worrying about something that is going to happen on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and I know that I'm right because my experience tells me that I'm right, that the situation is not going to go the way it needs to go, that there's going to be stress, there's going to be problems, and nobody is listening to me right now. Heavenly Father, would you comfort me by the thoughts from your scripture that everything I need will be provided for me and that I don't need to go into Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday with any worry at all. It's not that the details are wrong. It's that you will work them out. How do we pray for our, our, our spouse? They're the ones who actually fold the laundry, by the way. That's, that, that's what I'm talking about. They're the ones who actually know how much soap goes in the washing machine. They're the ones who actually know how many dryer sheets are left in the dryer sheet box. Just saying that to some of you, you're like, whoa, we have dryer sheets? Yes, and there's a member of your family who can probably tell you how many are left. For that member of your family, they're already thinking about when they're going to have to go and get more dryer sheets. Or they know that they don't have to get them as soon as they need to because you actually don't know that there's dryer sheets. And they're not being used as often as... There's a member of your family that thinks like this. They're consumed with worry, perfection, and order. Heavenly Father, my spouse, I love the way that they try to provide for me. I love the way that they think through all the details. I love the way that they maintain the vehicles and, and buy dryer sheets in a timely fashion and make all the things happen. But Father, I can also see how they're just worried and stressed about things that aren't even happening yet. Father, would you allow them to know through the power of your Holy Spirit that not only are all the details known to you, that even if the details don't come together, it'll be okay because you are already in tomorrow. You're already there. You've already seen tomorrow. Would you comfort my spouse with that thought that they can relax and not have worry today? Nathaniel, I'm wrapping up our time together and moving into a time of communion. I'm going to pray one more temperament-empowered prayer, and then we're going to uh, share communion together. So if you want to come on up with your green or red, you can use that. would be great. Thank you. Finally, for those of us with the red power to control temperament, Psalm 94, verses 14 and 15. The Lord will not forsake his people or abandon his heritage, for justice will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow. Heavenly Father, we just put a tap on my heart as someone who is empowered by control and, and by power and, and tasks and, and getting things done. And Father, I am worried that the thing will not happen because I'm not trying hard enough, I'm not working hard enough, or that possibly I'm heading in the wrong direction. Father, thank you that your righteous cause will always prevail and that even if I make wrong decisions and wrong choices, that you will not abandon me because my heart is faithful to you. For my brothers and sisters who are in red or power and control, choleric temperament, and that feels good. That feels good. Powerful prayer because it's scriptural, but it's powerful, especially for those of us with the red temperament. And maybe you have a co-worker who feels like they have no control not being respected. Heavenly Father, would you communicate to my co-worker that as long as they keep trying to do the right thing and they're humbly before you, that you will uphold your righteous cause and you get to be a part of it. And Father, if they don't know you, would they choose to be loyal to you in recognition for how loyal you are to them? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Temperament-empowered prayers as the means of crying out to God with our words in a way 
that is holy and powerful and recognized, giving God room to answer those prayers, knowing that He is going to work in hearts and minds, and it has nothing to do with our great corporate and matching bread baskets. We take all the pressure off and allow God to be God, and then we are positioned to either pray, to continue to pray, or to confess our shortcomings as He restores and forgives. Treating God as if love is greater than manipulation. We're going to move into a time of communion this morning. We're so grateful for the insights that we've gotten from the text regarding our temperaments. But all of our focus continually needs to be on how God has provided for us with the greatest gift that we could ever have, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, in response to which we strive to live a life of righteousness and holiness and humility before God. And so if you've never received communion before, I'm going to ask the, the folks to come forward to help distribute the elements. Uh, you might be wondering, is communion for me? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and are praying a prayer somewhat like the four prayers that I just prayed, then, then you're welcome to receive communion, and we hope that you would. If there's something on your heart and mind that you feel you need to confess before taking communion, feel free to do so from the privacy of your seat. If you'd like to let the elements just pass you by, you can do that too. No one's going to think anything of it. There are times and seasons for not taking communion, and that's okay too. God understands us. Don't feel under any pressure. When the elements come by, there's two cups. Take both cups. They're stacked on top of each other. Please hold the elements until I share uh, the biblical passage. Most pertinent to communion, we'll pray together and then receive communion together as a church. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to use our words with the full confidence, knowing that we have your full attention. Father, we do not have a desire to manipulate situations. We've tried and we've messed things up. We have induced stress and pain and worry and regret into our life situations because we have tried to do it ourselves and not gone through what your word clearly says. And so, Father, this morning, may you find us people of praise, May you find us a people of prayer. May you find us a people of repentance as we await your forgiveness and your restoration. Please bless this 